In our demo talk tonight, we shall reconnect to the five controlling faculties, the Panch Indriyani in the Pani scriptural language, and we shall discuss in particular some ways of sharpening the controlling faculties. There are altogether nine such ways mentioned in the Visuddhi Magga, and out of those nine ways, we will most likely deal with the first three. And the elaborate or, or you know, the Visuddhi Magga's explanations on those uh, on sharpening the controlling you know, faculties appear in you know, the 20th chapter of the Visuddhi Magga, namely the chapter you know, that deals with you know, the purification of what is you know, the path and the not path. And you know, there it says it could have Happen, and that even though a meditator is having those five controlling faculties, and yet they are not effective, and they are not leading necessarily to the result of the arising of intuitive wisdom. So in that case, and then um, those nine ways of sharpening the controlling faculties is being uh, is being recommended now the relevant certain passage from the Visuddhi Magga is as follows, and I'll quote the translation as given by Venerable Bhikkhu Jnana Moni. While thus engaged in inductive insight, however, if it does not succeed, one should sharpen one's faculties of faith, of effort, of mindfulness, of concentration, and of wisdom. In the nine ways stated thus, the faculties become sharp in nine ways. Number one, one sees only the destruction of arisen formations. Number two, and in that occupation of seeing only the destruction of arisen formations, one makes sure of working carefully. And number three, one makes sure of working perseveringly. Number f- that's number three. Number four is one makes sure of working suitably. And number five, by apprehending the sign of concentration. And number six, by balancing the enlightenment factors. Number seven, one establishes disregard of body and life. Number eight, wherein one overcomes pain by renunciation, and number nine, by not stopping halfway. So these are your nine ways in terms of just the headings. Now, those controlling faculties, as we have seen already in one of the earlier Dhamma talks, may help us tremendously to cut through, well, the multiple strata of delusion and then hopefully lead to the arising of intuitive knowledge or wisdom. And as we have seen in one of the preceding talks, when wisdom arises in one stream of consciousness, then it will be accompanied by also mental states. And this in turn it will contribute to a meditator's uh, or experience of happiness. Now, the first one of the nine ways of control of sharpening the controlling faculties is um, 
uh, that of uh, you know, paying or seeing only you know, the destruction of arisen formations. In a um, broader sense, what we could say is you know, that this is paying attention to impermanence. Now, for a meditator who has as yet not yet not yet directly seen impermanence, it's uh, <clears throat> it might be helpful you know, to you know, take you know, impermanence or to accept impermanence um, based on faith, on good certain faith, and assuming that formations will not be permanent and then working you know, based on this certain assumption. This certain will you know, help a meditator you know, to you know, then maybe you know, have less difficulties in the practice and certainly then you know, waste less certain time assuming that, wrongly assuming that formations are you know, permanent. Now, if one strongly believes that certain formations are permanent, compact, then this may block a meditator's practice. Now, this doesn't really apply to our group of meditators here, since all of you have already a direct certain understanding, gained some form of a direct understanding of impermanence. Now, When it comes certainly to impermanence or the understanding of it, there are different levels of understanding impermanence or different aspects. When a meditator usually reaches certainly the third insight knowledge, the knowledge by comprehension, samasana, jnana in the Pali scriptural language, then one will typically see how a formation, a physical or mental formation, will arise, and suddenly then one will see you know, the you know, formation lasting for a while, possibly undergoing changes, and suddenly then one will also you know, see how that same you know, formation will subside. So one sees the arising, the lasting, the passing of you know, a formation. Now, with this, it is already you know, pretty obvious that formations are not permanent because certainly they keep changing. Now, the fact of impermanence will be further understood, understood in a deeper way when one's practice moves on. And one then sees in a very direct, intuitive manner how formations, in a rapid manner, appear, disappear. They, are, you know, they arise, they you know, pass away. And so when one sees that, no doubt formations are not permanent, but rather impermanent. Now, the understanding of certain impermanence, anicca, is said certain to be reached in meditators who then gain another knowledge of or another intuitive knowledge and that is certainly the knowledge of seeing formations as passing away. So if that is certainly the case, and one sees not just one, but plenty of formations passing away, then the fact of impermanence gets pretty well established in the stream of consciousness. Now, 
version of uh, what has been read out early on in uh, English from the Visudi Magga on the first way of sharpening the controlling faculties reads as follows, namely Upanupananam Sankaranam Kayam Ewapasati. Upana is the past uh, participle of upajati, meaning arisen or reborn. Sankara, a your conditioned phenomena. And Satna then, Kaya is a you know, masculine you know, noun, meaning disintegration or destruction or cessation or breaking up or decay. Eva is an emphatic particle. Empacity means he or she sees. So, if we follow the Pali, then literally, then it means one sees only the destruction of arisen formations. And please notice that it says here uh, destruction of arisen formations. So formations that are there, that have already uh, arisen. However, the emphasis being on uh, the destruction, seeing the destruction. Now, this certain particular, uh, well, explanation from the Visuddhi Magga, the path of purification, is more specific than saying to pay attention to impermanence. It's the height of impermanence or the peak of impermanence that one is asked to pay attention to. Now, when it comes you know, to you know, impermanence, you know, there are so many different aspects you know, that uh, uh, have to do with impermanence. And uh, are there any that you are familiar with, that you have uh, noticed so far? Formations are what? Formations are impermanent. And other aspects of impermanence would be Changeable. Changeable, yes, this is correct. Unsatisfactory. Mm -hmm. Unsatisfactory, that uh, has uh, more to do you know, with the second certain universal characteristic of Fatna Dukkha. I uh, know, by extension, uh, yes, but uh, the aspect of impermanence in cell itself. So, other aspects of impermanence that you have noticed so far in your practice? Unstable. Unstable, there you go. Correct. And certain is subject to what? Destruction. Uh, subject to destruction, yes. Also subject to death. And uh, and uh, the subject to uh, arising and subject to annihilation and so on. Uh, they're unenduring, perishable, fickle, disintegrating, etc. So there's a whole uh, list of ten uh, different aspects of uh, impermanence certainly being mentioned in uh, the text. Uh, again, uh, this is from. From the Patisambhida Maga. Did you say fickle? What's that? Did you say fickle? Yes. Like the weather is fickle. The weather is fickle, it means certainly the weather is changeable. Likewise, physical and mental formations are what? Enduring or changeable? Well, they change all the time. If you could, if you observe really carefully, then you will see it uh, directly. Now, um, to proceed in our exploration of uh, you know, this certain aspect of impermanence, and in particular.
particular the aspect of Fertner, well, the the ending of Fertner formations, formations certainly being uh, or, or subject to destruction. Now, we have all noticed how during rainfall, a rain, a rain drop falls onto the ground, and suddenly then, if this happens many times, then a puddle forms, and then if another raindrop falls onto this puddle, then the raindrop will burst. And so or even if it falls on, uh, uh, on the soil like this, it will like also uh, burst. And suddenly, so as soon, or if we take uh, the case of a soap bubble, so like uh, like uh, children uh, do, uh, they play with these certain uh, things. They uh, cause uh, a soap bubble uh, to appear, and suddenly, then within maybe at the most uh, five ten seconds or so, the soap bubble will then pop. Now. We may also see the destruction of formations in nature in the case of lightning. When lightning strikes, then usually it happens so quickly that the beginning of the lightning is not so obvious, whereas the ending of it is relatively relatively um, obvious. And so then in the case of well preparing popcorn, we might in a, in a pan or pod, we may then hear one corn after another bursting, bursting, bursting. Or in the case of uh, um, a bomb exploding, this will happen in a particular manner, namely all of a sudden and uh, probably quite uh, violently. Then another worldly uh, example or illustration for uh, destruction would be in the case of fireworks. So. When shooting or playing with fireworks, then there will be an explosion, and or maybe even many, many explosions in the sky, and then that many colors certainly will be seen there. Now. Here in New Mexico, we have plenty of adobe buildings. If you do not maintain an adobe building for an extended period of time, then what will happen? What, pardon me? It will dissolve. It will dissolve into, into back into mud, and certainly at least if uh, other materials, building construction materials, have not been used. So if we take an original adobe building, as for instance in the pueblo here in Taos, if it's not properly maintained, then Sooner or later, the grasses will start growing on its top, and then heavy rain will then soften the walls, and then cracks may form, and eventually the walls might come tumbling down. So then you'll have a gradual destruction. Now, another example would certainly be that of pouring dye or some water colors into a glass of water. And so there's a very particular way how those dyes or the water colors then mix with water. So it's a gradual process. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. 
and certainly then if you think of let's say a car so let's say you've had a car accident and you're happy to get away from the accident site so you just leave your car behind and then your car remains there for a month for two months and very soon people will realize oh this seems like an abandoned car and then under the assumption that it doesn't belong to anyone what will happen people will will strip it there you go <laughs> and <laughs> they will help themselves uh, to uh, maybe a new pair or a uh, 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 new set of tires they might help themselves to a new hood you know, they might uh, help themselves to a new steering wheel and whatever is precious or maybe even the engine which might be the most important part and so uh, so whatever is still in a relatively you know, you know, good condition will be stripped you know, from you know, that car. And eventually you know, you know, the owner will be left with maybe just uh, uh, the chassis and that's all. So you know, a gradual process of uh, destruction. Now, does this have anything to do with our meditation practice? I mean, you know, s you know, destruction. You better. <laughs> you better. <laughs> you are quite correct. So, uh, these illustrations have much to do with our meditation practice because um, you know, formations are not only arising, but you know, the one of you know, their key features is that they also uh, end, disintegrate, and then break up, cease, fade away, etc., etc. Now, in the course of the meditation practice, if this kind of thing happens to be the main feature of your meditation, then you might as well pay attention to it rather than you know, just giving only preference to you know, the beginning as most people beginning of objects as most people are you know, doing now. No, when the you know, ending, the destruction, the disintegration of objects hap naturally happens to be you know, the most predominant aspect in your you know, meditation practice, then you might certainly want you know, to you know, check very carefully how this is happening. And you might certainly check very carefully, is there any change? You know, are there any changes with regard to your the labeling itself, what about uh, you know, the body as a whole? We have you know, this notion of a body being one solid entity with clear-cut boundaries, etc. And certainly, so um, is this the case or not? And certainly then you might certainly investigate you know, some very basic facts whether objects uh, can be clearly located or not. And certainly you might certainly then also you know, want to find out how objects certainly are you know, vanishing. And certainly then you might also you know, want to pay attention to you know, the speed with 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 which you know, this ending or disintegration of footner formations is happening. So is this happening at a, you know, at a really slow you know, speed or pace, or you know, is this maybe happening quite certainly quickly or extremely quickly? And Satna then you know, does Satna the ending, the disintegration of Satna formations concern only the rising falling movement of Satna the abdomen, or does it also concern, let's say, you know, seeing impressions, hearing impressions, smelling impressions, etc.? Does it certainly concern only material phenomena, or maybe also mental phenomena? 
So there's much that certainly could be uh, explored. And then what about, let's say, mental formations? Do they seem all that, are they really all that compact as they first appear upon superficial observation? Now, as we have seen in with the with the illustrations or examples given earlier on from the worldly sphere, the disintegration of an object, the ending of an object, may happen in many different ways. There is no standard way how this happens. And so, maybe to give one more pretty obvious example, day after day the sun is setting. And so, is the sun always setting in the same way, one standard way? One, uh, one uh, way, or you know, certain uh, very particular way of uh, the uh, setting of the sun. There is no such standard way, and sometimes when the weather conditions are favorable, then we might be seeing a huge red ball there gradually setting and can be quite impressive. On other days, if it's foggy, then the setting of the sun might not be, might be half foggy, half clear. And then, if it's raining, it might be again quite a different experience. And certain, and then sometimes there might certainly even be, um, uh, well, some uh, other, or you know, let's say if it's raining and then there's even uh, a thunderstorm, then it might be um, even more impressive. So, likewise, there are objects, physical as well as mental objects in our meditation practice, tend to disintegrate in different ways. Now, the Visuddhimagga speaks of, clearly speaks of destruction. Kaya is certainly the Pali scriptural term for this, which means destruction. The term is spelled K-H-A-Y-A, and not to be confused with the word Kaya, which means Satna body. And so, in the case of this seeing the destruction of formations, this is said to help abandon the perception of compactness. And perception of compactness may be of different kinds. Now, one does not right away see this sudden destruction of certain formations or engage in the respective contemplation of certain destruction. This happens only when one, when the dissolution of formations has become quite certainly familiar. Now, one case of the destruction of the compact would be in terms of seeing the destruction of compactness as a continuity. Now, already several times we have said 
you know, that's uh, you know, the rising you know, movement and falling movement of the abdomen at first uh, you know, observation may seem rather you know, may seem you know, to be a rather continuous movement. Upon closer observation, one might certainly find it's not a continuous movement, but certainly more you know, a wave-like you know, movement. Then, upon even closer observation, one might certainly find you know, that it is a segmented movement. So, the movement then consists of several segments. If one observes even more carefully, one might certainly sooner or later find that that same rising movement or falling movement breaks down further and suddenly then consists of just a series of dots. So, that would be a case for seeing the destruction of compactness as a continuity. Now, there is certainly a second certain case, namely compactness uh, as a uh, mass. Um, and uh, this in the Pali scripture language is given as Samuhana Gana. And so what this means is that we might be observing a mass of hardness and so it seems pretty solid, pretty compact and upon closer observation we find that this mass of hardness isn't really one solid object but rather consists of many hundreds if not thousands of footnote points of hardness. So if we see you know, that, you know, then it amounts to you know, you know, the destruction, seeing the destruction of the compactness of footnote hardness or you know, compactness, you know, compactness as a mass. Now, there is yet a third certain type of uh, compactness, namely as function, and this too, on occasion, that might be seen as certain breaking apart, falling apart, and so. Um, for the most part, the various inside knowledges fulfill a very specific function. They, they, um, and since this happens again and again, one then or it becomes even predictable, and thus one may assume, okay, next thing in the practice will be so and so. How? Ever that compactness uh, as a function, kichagana, in the Pani scripture language, at times uh, itself uh, may break up, and certainly uh, then mm, you know, the uh, particular at a particular stage in our practice, you know, things certainly uh, then are you know, somewhat chaotic and certainly very much different from you know, our you know, expectations. So this then we you know, would certainly, or at least we could. Referred to as the destruction of compactness as a function. And Satna then, the last example is Satna that of Aramana, Tengana, compactness as an object. And here too, when one takes an object such as a pain, one sees the entire thing and then closely focuses on it, then one might see how that pain then breaks up into thousands of particles. And certainly then one can, either that or a formation or an object, a sensation, no longer qualifies as, or qualifies for what it had earlier been seen. So maybe at first one experiences a certain sensation and one clearly says, okay, this is a pain, but then later on, the object falls apart and it loses its boundary, it loses 
its qual its specific qualities, and then one no longer one can no longer call it a clear cut certain pain. So that would be a case certain for destruction of compactness as an object. Now. This, these four forms, or, or some of Futna, these you know, forms of Futna, seeing the destruction of compactness, might be you know, seen in you know, the fourth Futna or you know, the fifth insight knowledge. Now, when a meditator um, takes to heart the observation of, uh, in general, the dissolution of formations, or even more specifically, the destruction of Fatna formations, then he or she might be experiencing or might be seeing plenty of fascinating details. And Fatna then. if at first it, you know, this certain observation was somewhat boring, then later on one can't get enough of footness seeing it. And so one is basically you know, waiting for the next object to be there, you know, to take a close look at it, and to see you know, once again how this next object is you know, going to uh, disappear. Now, um, if that stage is certainly reached, then obviously your you know, mindfulness will be much sharper, and certain, you know, observing really carefully in, you know, requires more effort, so your effort, so your level of effort will have gone up, and certain, you know, then mm, mm, also your concentration you know, will be stronger, obviously you know, wisdom you know, will you know, deepen, and based on this, you know, your faith in the practice you know, will you know, also deepen further. So having seen, clearly seen, how objects certain disappear in different certain ways, this certain then will help to build certain your faith. So in this way we can say that indeed, or we, we can find that indeed paying attention to the destruction of arisen formations is a way of sharp the five controlling faculties. So this is one uh, aspect. Now, the second uh, way to uh, sharpen the controlling faculties is uh, uh, given as in the Pali scriptural uh, language as tata cha saka cha kiriyaya sampadeti, which then means, according to Bhikkhunyana Mori, and in that occupation, namely of paying attention to the destruction of formations, one makes sure of working carefully. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita Nabibhamsa Burma has referred to this particular aspect as care and respect, practicing with care and respect, which then is certainly indeed a very important aspect. Now, when when we come to you know, the pasta read for the very first time, then and we've never done a retreat certainly before. You know, we've lived our you know, life in a rather uh, well, you know, rather casual manner. Then most likely we will not take this practice too seriously. And we will do this practice in a casual, easygoing way, in a relaxed way, in certain kind of like, you know, in a playful way. Why should one be so serious about the whole thing? However, 
Vipassana practice is different from other activities. And we could say that uh, Vipassana practice is not just, uh, you know, like a hobby or so, or something that you waste your time on, but rather like an art. So if you set your goal on becoming a world-famous violin player, then will you approach your playing and practicing the violin in a casual manner? Most likely not. So most likely this will be important to you and then you will give the practice much care and respect. So when we practice, we want to, well, we want to do so with utmost reverence and meticulousness. And a word that I have found to be quite helpful in this context lately is that of devotion. So when we practice, we want to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to the observation of whatever predominant object comes along, even the most negligible object. So an activity such as opening and closing a door, what about this? It's such, it's such an ordinary you know, activity. Why should I pay attention to this? That would be an ordinary way of reasoning. However, even in this, you know, there is a potential for you know, you know, realizing the Dhamma. Now, when we reflect on, when we know and reflect on the seven classical benefits that are being ascribed to the Satipatthana practice, then quite naturally we will want to do it with reverence and meticulousness and with devotion. And those benefits being purification of the mind or of beings and then the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, total destruction of physical pain and mental distress, and entering into the right path, and finally the attainment of Nibbana. Now the Visuddhimagga says that there are hundreds of benefits that can be attributed to the realization of, of Nibbana. Uh, or realization of Fatna, the path of stream entry. And Fatna, so we are thus engaging in a practice that's in a gradual way, in a gradual, gentle way, will bring about profound and positive changes uh, into our, or in our life. So this kind of, this being so, we might as well you know, then treat our own practice uh, properly. And what this then means is that we practice that we slow down all of our movements as much as we can, and we perform each and every activity during the general activities, and then the walking meditation itself, and then sitting down in the sitting meditation, sitting itself, getting up from a sitting, etc. We do everything as mindfully as we possibly could. Now, the Buddha has, in this connection, has suddenly given a wonderful mm, illustration for how one you know, could uh, practice. And allow me to quote you know, from you know, the connected discourses of the Buddha, the translation, the Samyutta Nikaya, the translation by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi. It appears you know, that such a group of monks were not practicing properly. And Satna Sotna, the Buddha, then addressed them. 
But I'll start at the beginning. The, 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 the title of the discourse is The Most Beautiful Girl of uh, the Land. It's so, uh, this discourse can be found in the 47th Samyutta, the Satipatthana Samyutta of the Samyutta Nikaya. Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was living among no, sorry, the Sumbas, where there was a town of the Sumbas named Sedaka. There, the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus, bhikkhus. Venerable Sir, they replied, the Blessed One said this, because suppose that on hearing the most beautiful girl of the land, the most beautiful girl of the land, a great crowd of people would assemble. Now, that most beautiful girl of the land would dance exquisitely and sing exquisitely. On hearing the most beautiful girl of the land is dancing, the most beautiful girl of the land is singing, an even larger crowd wishing to, an even larger crowd of people would assemble. Then a man would come along, wishing to live, not wishing to die, wishing for happiness, averse to suffering. Someone would say to him, Good man, you must carry around this bowl of oil filled to the brim between the crowd and the most beautiful girl of the land. A man with a drawn sword will be following right behind you, and wherever you spill even a little of, of the oil, right there he will fell your head. So, what do you think? The Buddha addressed the bhikkhus. Would that man stop attending to that bowl of oil and out of negligence turn his attention outwards? So, look at the crowd or look at the most beautiful girl dancing and singing. And the bhikkhus obviously say, what, yes or no? <laughs> they say no. And uh, then the Buddha goes on to conclude and suddenly says, I have made up this simile. So it's just uh, you know, for teaching purposes. In order to convey a meaning, this here is the meaning. The bowl of oil filled to the brim. This is a designation for mindfulness directed to you know, the body. So the body can be seen as a pot filled with oil, and certainly we need to keep our attention on it, otherwise, certainly we'll be in big trouble. Therefore, because you should train yourselves thus, we will develop and cultivate mindfulness directed to the body. Make it our vehicle, make it our basis, stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfect it. Thus, because, and by extension, bhikkhunis and lay meditators, should you train yourselves. So, this is a beautiful simile, and there's further meaning to it. Namely, when you keep your attention on the body and you practice kaya nupasana satipatthana, mindful contemplation of the body, then uh, the, the automatic consequence of this is that you will also be practicing restraint of the senses. Because you'll be so busy you know, working you know, or observing objects occurring in the body that you don't have any time you know, or you don't have the time you know, to look at external objects. Just like the man who, who was carrying that bowl or that pot full of oil. So he was probably, he was certainly totally, he had to be totally attentive to the pot on his head, otherwise, and had no time whatsoever to look at certainly that beautiful, most beautiful girl dancing and certainly singing exquisitely. Now, the simile 
of foot, you know, the man you know, carrying you know, a bowl you know, um, full of foot, you know, oil on his certain head might be interpreted in yet another way, and certain venerable Analaya you know, proposes you know, that it is an illustration you know, for centeredness. So you know, just like the man who is carrying this certain bowl of oil you know, had to be had to walk very strained, so too in our meditation practice we have to be centered. So this certain simile might be very useful to remember in the context of practicing with certain great care and certain respect. Now, another example would be that of crossing a narrow footbridge with no railing to hold on to and underneath well a deep gorge and then a river with a river carrying a huge amount of water flowing down there at great certain speed and in a violent uh, manner. So, uh, if one were to r- run across uh, this uh, f- narrow footbridge, then uh, probably uh, sooner or later one uh, would slip and fall off the footbridge. So, when crossing uh, such a... if one wants to cross the narrow footbridge properly, uh, then one has to do so with all attention, paying full attention to each and every step, uh, to one's body, one needs to ensure that the body is well centered, etc., etc. Now, in the meditation practice, there's a principle of the slower you do your general activities, the more progress there will be in your practice. And it's not the faster you move around, the faster you will progress. Now, obviously, there are certain exceptions. Let's say when people are lining up at the buffet for breakfast or lunch, then we need to, you know, take food, or we need to be considered of others waiting in line, and then maybe speed up a little bit. Now. When it's um, other examples that could be given, that certain principle of practicing with care and respect is certain very important. Let's say for surgeons and certain dentists. So if you think of a brain surgeon, if a brain surgeon is inattentive just for a split certain second, then he may he or she might perform do great damage to the patient and maybe uh, irreparable damage. And the same thing goes for a dentist. If he or she is not really attentive to the work, then some damage will surely be done to the teeth. To share a personal story in this regard, during the early days in Lumbini, and so this is long time ago, 1998, in February 1998, um, 98 or 99 during those first two years. Back then, the medical facilities in Lumbini and its surrounding area were pretty bad. And some 
uh, especially in terms of uh, well um, dentists and there was no dentist in Lumbini there was no dentist in the near, nearest town in Bainua the next uh, dentist was uh, supposed to be in Butwal so 40 kilometers away um, it so happened that I ended up with uh, a bad uh, tooth and really had to uh, see a dentist and uh, unaware of uh, the situation, the medical situation in, or, or health situation, medical health situation in the region. So I asked around and some local people recommended, oh, well, there's this wonderful dentist in Butwal will be happy to introduce you to now that dentist so happily I went there with a smile on my face but soon <laughs> the smiling stopped and so, so and then we walk into this small small dentist dental clinic and maybe half of it was already occupied by the waiting room and the other half so the whole thing was already pretty small and so half of it was just for a waiting room and the other half was the actual well the the clinic and and so, now, then the equipment seemed already pretty you know, worn out, <laughs> uh, the, the maybe you know, just slightly post uh, World War Two, and. <laughs> And so, uh, then, so uh, with already a little bit of discomfort, I sat down on the uh, dentist's chair, and so uh, then explained to uh, the dentist uh, what the problem was, and literally, physically showed him which uh, tooth was uh, problematic. So he said, "No problem, no problem." <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine what happened. And suddenly, so he prepares his drill and suddenly then sets to work and starts drilling on the wrong tooth, on a proper, on a on a good tooth. My goodness! I said enough of this, and I left the I left the dental clinic. <laughs> so once and never again. <laughs> So, if a dentist doesn't pr practice with or work with care and respect, certainly, well, uh, the patients have to suffer. Now, um, another negative example would be in certain places when you get invited, and let's say as a group, and then the food gets served, then it may happen, especially when serving the soup and let's say some liquidish type of dishes, curries, that half of it ends up on your lap. Oh, what a pleasure. And so... <laughs> And that would be another case of, well, you know, serving, you know, serving food, but in a rather inattentive manner. Or, uh, I've seen cases of people eating, and the end result was after the meal a big mess around the place where the person was eating. So again, a case of no care and respect. Now, the... That's the, you know, or this much in terms of the second way of sharpening the controlling faculties. And the third one is certainly in terms of unbroken continuity. In the Pani scriptural language. Literally, or, or as translated by Venerable Jnana Moli, this means one makes sure of working perseveringly. So, despite of discouragement, opposition, or previous failure, one simply continues with one's meditation practice. Now, 
part of foot or aspects that are valid under this heading is that one tries to do well one tries to do one works on the continuity of one's mindfulness in general and in particular one tries to do one thing at a time when changing postures one will try to break down the movements into single units and then be mindful of each and every of those units with utmost care. And then one will also want to pay attention to details such as opening and closing of the eyes, a detail that most meditators don't pay attention to. And then one might also, when observing predominant objects, do so without getting lost in unnecessary reflections and thinking reasoning, etc. So as soon as an object has arisen, then one wants to be with the object, one wants to be with it continuously, moment after moment. One moment of mindfulness connecting to the next moment of mindfulness. Now, during the early stages of one's mindfulness practice, it is a teacher's job to remind a meditator to be continuously mindful, and then gradually meditators are getting the point, and later on, a meditator will naturally see or naturally understand that the continuity of mindfulness is important and will pay attention to it. Now, even later on in the practice, when formations become pretty refined, the observing and knowing mind is also quite refined, then the continuity of mindfulness becomes even more important. So when we practice, we want to maintain, we want to persevere when it comes to the continuity of mindfulness and not give in, not go for some um, excuse or with an excuse, well, throw in the towel and then maybe rest in uh, the room. So we do not want to be like chameleons who have a habit of moving ahead for a little while and then all of a sudden stopping and then gazing around. One doesn't quite know what they're doing and then all of a sudden dashing forward again. So chameleons manage to survive in this way, but meditators may not if their mindfulness is suddenly somewhat uh, intermittent and often on and off nature. Let me conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing may you may those first three ways of sharpening the controlling faculties be helpful and may they help to indeed sharpen the faculties and then may this in turn contribute to cutting through our many layers of delusion with this may more and more wisdom arise and ultimately may it culminate in the wisdom of liberation, of gaining liberation from suffering through first of all, through the attainment of the noble path of stream entry. And may this happen during this very retreat here and in Taos. And this is it for now. Uh-huh.
Okay, let's hear briefly. You, you speak about unbroken continuity of mindfulness, and then you also speak about you know, moments of mindfulness. So, the part you refer to is from moment to moment to moment. Yes, indeed. What is this moment of mindfulness that you're referring to? What is a moment as opposed to continuity of mindfulness? Well, there's oh, many moments of mindfulness which make up a continuity of mindfulness. Yeah, but what is this moment? Moment, it means that, you know, that the mental, for that moment, you know, the mental factor of mindfulness is present rather than you know, you know, some other mental factor, rather than you know, uh, absent-mindedness you know, you know, diligent, uh, or negligence. And with this, trying to find it in my experience, what you're, mm-hmm. what you're referring to is a moment of mindfulness. That's mindfulness, period. Sure. Well, you can define the term moment. You can you know, define you know, as uh, as defined in the you know, Abhidhamma by Kana. Kana, you know, the Pali term Kana is one moment, which is extremely short. I don't know there's uh, like uh, you know, probably billions of uh, moments of you know, moments too, you know, or within one snap of fingers or you know, one blinking of the eyes. So does this? Satisfy you. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> so with that, with that, at least you know what a moment is. <laughs> yes, Lan. What's what's that? Well, when your mindfulness is quite certain and continuous, yeah, then sooner or later the mind yeah, will yeah, uh, yeah, be uh, or land squarely on yeah, the object of observation, and certain with this thing, then concentration is there, and it will also then it will be there you know, from uh, moment to moment if the mindfulness continues to be, uh, or if mindfulness uh, uh, continues to be continuous. Uh, no. And when when then mindfulness is present, and certainly uh, then mindfulness present, concentration is also present, and so um, we assume you know, that effort is also there, and certainly uh, faith is also you know, you know, there. You know, then out of you know, this intuitive wisdom you know, that will arise. Uh, no. Does this answer your question? Yes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.